0: Hi, and welcome once more to the All Plane Podcast, back here after a short summer break and ready to keep talking with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, let me remind you that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E E.tv. Today on the podcast, we have a sustainable aviation entrepreneur, Paul Pereira. Paul's company, called Fluxart, is working on the development of cryogenic motors, a technology that aims to boost the performance of hydrogen-powered motors for aircraft by making them several times more efficient than they are now. But besides this facet as an entrepreneur, Paul is possibly one of the best-informed professionals that I know in the whole sustainable aviation space. You will find him often on on LinkedIn, for example, sharing many interesting insights and stories from literally from all corners of the sustainable aviation industry. So I wouldn't want to miss this opportunity to ask him about more general trends in the aviation hydrogen space, and most particularly in the UK, where Paul is based, since there are quite a few interesting projects going on there at the moment. So... Without further ado, let me welcome Paul to the podcast so that we can learn about all this directly from him. Hi, Paul. How are you? Good, Miguel. How are you? Very well. So you're joining us from one of Europe's capitals of aerospace industry, in the UK, in the Bristol area, Filton, where I think Airbus is located, and it's an important cluster as well for many other aerospace industries. And yeah, today we're going to talk about sustainable aviation. I must say you are one of the most prolific writers and, and sharers of information out there, I think, in the sustainable aviation space. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself now and, and tell us a bit more about your background, but but I think you are possibly one of the most knowledgeable people out there right now in this field. So, so welcome to the podcast, right. and uh, yeah, <laughs> please tell us more about yourself before we get into into your projects and the general outlook.
1: Thank you, Miguel, and well, I, it's a pleasure being here, and love reading your um, articles as well. And um, you know, sustainable aviation for me, as Paul Pereira, you know, the the, the guy that 35 years ago um, turned up at the doors of Airbus to learn about um, how to do trades on sustainability is now trying to put it into practice with my own little company called Fluxart. Um, and I've taken a, quite a journey to um, sustainable aviation through companies, as you say, in Bristol, uh, not just Airbus, but Rolls-Royce and TK and Aerospace, and work with some of the uh, the, the defence primes looking at um, sustainability as well, like BA systems. And what I've discovered in this time is really that there is no one silver bullet, as people say, but there are better bullets than others. And I think that I've been on a mission for at least the last 12 years to look at hydrogen significantly more than the others. And in that light, uh, you know, with Fluxart, what we're trying to do is build the best uh, propulsion solution that we can and get that up into the skies as quickly as possible. And the reason I have five children, a big carbon footprint of my own, and I need to reduce that for the future of the girls and, uh, and their families. And I think that with um, the possibility of hydrogen we have a a change in the approach that we take to designing aircraft. We certainly have a different dynamic on the ground with aviation in airports, and the energy sector becomes much more closely aligned. And what we have to do is think about a systems of systems perspective, which is where my career really has been as strategy and technology VP or director in most of those companies. So I'm um, yeah, really pleased to offer my thoughts and uh, and continue to share.
0: Yeah, actually, there's so much I would like to ask you, because as I mentioned, I think you have a very good insight about everything that's going on in, in the field of, of green aviation at the moment. There are obviously different paths that are being pursued by different players uh, from electric to hydrogen uh, to other types of technologies. You are particularly focused on hydrogen. We can look at, at the general outlook for hydrogen farther down the road. But first of all, I would like to ask you about this particular project you are working on, FluxArt. Uh, because yeah. I, I seen, I checked the website, You mentioned cryogenic motors. Uh, Right which I'm not totally sure I understand what they are. And, but there is not much more information out there. So could you please tell us uh, a bit more about Fluxart? Because it sounds really, really interesting in a sort of a mysterious sort of way. And it seems that <laughs> you guys are up to something great. You mentioned that the technology you're working on can deliver very, very significant improvements in the field of propulsion. So, so
1: Fluxart was created about a year and a bit ago by two other co-founders and myself, both of Strathclyde University. They're looking at superconducting motors. Um, and why do we think that superconducting motors are important? Because we think that you know, hydrogen is going to be in scarce uh, supply for some time. And what we can do for a given amount of hydrogen is produce four times the amount of power. So what we think about is how do you reduce the demand? Everything in our lives, you know, when it's our houses, um, our heating, we should be looking at first to reduce demand on the supply of energy. So the first thing we thought about is how do you do that? And the best way is to take a motor and make it more efficient and make it lighter weight, particularly for aerospace applications. And we do both of those things. So we can produce a motor that is four times the power density. That means four times the amount of power out for a given weight relative to existing technology that's out there, air-cooled, permanent magnet motors in particular. And when we look at the future um, opportunities, well, it doesn't just land with aviation. You know, we've already talked to um, heavy goods vehicles, marine and shipping. You know, If we can reduce the demand on the supply of hydrogen, that will then make that rare um, value of uh, hydrogen spread wider whilst we still establish the future. The other benefit of uh, superconducting motor is you can get to very high power output. So we can get to 2 megawatts, we can get to 4 megawatts, and it scales and it's modular. And that's really important because as we start to look beyond in a regional aircraft, we need to get into that eight megawatt category. This is where we're at, and this is where we're trying to get to as soon as we can and accelerate that pathway.
0: So, if I understood correctly, are, are we talking about fuel cell? What's the transmission here between hydrogen and. Yeah, we could. It, any generator that could produce electrical power effectively um, could be
1: used, um, but, but our, our goal is to use the cryogenic sort of temperatures. So, a gas turbine burning liquid hydrogen would also be possible. Um, to be part of the, the, the propulsion chain. But m- m- more and more, we look at what's the output of a gas turbine burning hydrogen, and we see NOx, we see further contrail effects, we see potentially some other um, concerns with related to radiative forcing and greenhouse gas. When we look at the non-CO2 effects, the best option by far is a fuel cell. The difficulty with a fuel cell is the heat management and the thermal management associated with that, So we're also trying to address that by combining the heat exchanger that we'll be using for the cryogenic um, superconducting with the fuel cell heat exchanger and get the added benefit of the two coming together. Because you have a huge amount of low grade heat for every megawatt of energy created by a fuel cell. You create a megawatt of heat, um, but it's at low temperatures of maybe 80 degrees Celsius, which is difficult to deal with um, and, and dispose of. And that's what we need to work through. And that's what we're working on. We have a heat exchanger solution that we believe can uh, pass that um, low grade heat into a number of parts of the system and provide further benefits. So we really want to harness the cryogenic hydrogen, which is the the main factor here, whether it's an electric uh, generator off a gas turbine or whether it's something else, we can certainly use um, the the cryogenic conditioning to help us build the superconducting motor.
0: At what state of development is this technology at the moment? Uh, because it, mm-hmm. it sounds like a very deep science type of project, but uh, has has it been tested like in a proper physical... Um, yes, form? the physical lab te-
1: test at 10 kilowatts exists already, and we're going to 200 kilowatts. And the idea is to scale beyond that very quickly. So this is the, the approach that we're taking. A bit like, uh, you know, start small with... Um, the tesla with the, the roadster if you take it by example and then they move to the model x and then they, you know and, and so on so we begin to see a evolution of the pathway but we think that that needs to be accelerated so we're not holding back we're trying to attain uh, additional grant and also private equity investment and we've got a great team around us we've just employed a, a colleague from um, my past in fact my first boss at airbus who ran the future projects department became most recently a member of the fly zero program here in the uk under the a- ati looking at the certification system aspects of a hydrogen-powered aircraft. And he's our engineering director. So we're building out a team that's very capable, understands the certification needs for aviation. We also have within the team uh, myself, who's got manufacturing experience, and then obviously our two professors from Strathclyde uh, who are joining us as uh, full full members of the team. And that really brings us to a position where we have world-leading expertise in manufacturing certification and obviously the superconducting motors themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. so is this something that you are already building from what i understand so you have the lab and it's already okay
1: the team's already built the first uh, demonstrator onto the second and we we're trying to find the money for the third we built the heat exchanger with the Scottish enterprises uh, funding and grant uh, earlier this year which is a, a, a bi-axial um, heat exchanger which we've been able to demonstrate uh, in the labs but we want to get up to scale for a heavy goods vehicle as well so We're beginning to look at a number of pathways to accelerate progress because we can see aviation taking its time to adopt new technologies. But it's not the the slowest one to move, Um, particularly here in the UK. We've got a more fertile ground um, than ever before. And obviously, with clean aviation coming with a lot of money behind it. Maybe in Europe, we should be looking there, too. We haven't started to, but we've got partners building out the heat heat exchanger with us. We've got a, a fuel cell partner. We've also got a tank provider as well, so all of those aspects are really important to the overall system. And the boundary, all of the, um, the cryogenics, is contained within that
0: system. What are the challenges? It sounds amazing to be able to to increase the performance so much, but I guess it's mm-hmm. not it's not <laughs> so easy to, to do it in practice, no. There must be some <laughs> some technical challenges to overcome here.
1: There's actually more supply chain challenges. The, the um, superconductor material comes from. You know, places like Russia or China, we need to bring that technology into the UK. There is a source in Germany and there is a source in the US, but they're far too expensive. Apart from that, the windings themselves, we have a very good experience of pulling those into the motor. And, uh, you know, the design for the purpose in an aviation sense and packaging, you know, that's one thing that we still need to do. So it depends on the vehicle. It depends on the location of the propulsion train as to how we package So the biggest challenge is finding an airframe integrator that wants to work with us to do this. And we're talking to a number and some of the bigger ones um, we can't name, but some of the smaller ones, we're talking to those that are already involved in hydrogen uh, aviation. So you can probably guess who they are.
0: Assuming this, this works well as expected, what would be your place in the in the industry supply chain? So you you see your your business model, is it to become a supplier to the OEMs or to come up with some sort of retrofitting solution on its own? Mm-hmm. How do you see this going? If you look what Airbus is trying to do, they're moving into fuel cells, they're moving into the space that the
1: engine manufacturers have traditionally been producing power. Mm-hmm. So um we have to ride with the the, the industry on this one. But I think our goal is to make sure that the IP works and that the IP can be exploited in the aerospace mm-hmm. sense. And we're looking forward to you know, the next steps there within within reason. We want to be up in the air within four years' time. So you know, liquid cryogenic hydrogen in an aircraft flying with a superconducting motor in four years seems to be achievable from what we can see.
0: Oh, well, that four years for industry standards. That's quite quite a short... Well, we're short see, time. we're seeing, you know,
1: other programs. Um, and the one I admire most is the Project Fresen in Grandfield, where, mm-hmm. you know, they're taking a very measured approach to uh, putting a fuel cell and heat exchangers, and then obviously gaseous tanks up in the sky with an islander. And they've got a program of three years, and that seems to be working to plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, Off the back of that, you've got a flying test bed. So you have the ability to convert that to liquid hydrogen. You know, we're not saying that this would be a final uh, retrofit solution. And I have an opinion that retrofitting any hydrogen aircraft will be uh, at some disadvantage to the original uh, design mission of all those aircraft. So I think we're not really thinking about uh, implanting this in an existing aircraft. It needs to be a test bed. And then we'll be looking for a new aircraft design that would incorporate the superconducting. Mm -hmm. And that might be 10 years away from here. But, you know, the the sooner the better.
0: And it can work with both um, hydrogen in gas and liquid form? Well, the superconducting, no. Um,
1: Superconducting would need the cryogenic uh, conditions. Ah, So Uh we want to get that on board. And we think that that's the right way to go because, you know, gaseous will probably take you up to 50 seats. But that's not where the biggest CO2 burn is occurring. You know to look at where the, the footprint of co2 across the industry in aviation is coming from you have to start looking to the lower end of the narrow bodies up to about 150 seat market that's where we want to target our p- application so liquid hydrogen is the important piece of this jigsaw mm-hmm. um, so who are the players in this market you have obviously um, we've had the crj um, we've had the, the Embraers. We're, we're into the space of the lower end of the uh, A319, A318, you know, this this market, and obviously the the A220. Um, but if you look at those aircraft, they are by far and away a large emitter. Um, uh, and relative to the regional aircraft at the lower end, 56 and below, they're probably 10 times the amount of CO2 footprint. So we want to make sure that we have impact. And uh, to do that, we have to go big. And going big means... Not the traditional motors, as far as we can tell, you have to use superconducting. We've been working with a lot of world-leading uh, experts in some of this area of sizing aircraft with um, some of those companies aforementioned, and they are very, very sure that the uh, the route from you know batteries that everyone was after what five years ago, uh, even Airbus looking at the EFAN-X, have moved to hydrogen. They moved very quickly through gaseous hydrogen straight to liquid. We think that will be the trend of everyone. You've seen Embraer doing the same. I think that's where we're heading. So liquid hydrogen is the, is the need. And you might ask, where do we get liquid hydrogen from in quantity? And that's what I'm working on as well. So we're looking at how to produce liquefication because part of the liquefication process is the heat exchanger. And the heat exchanger that we're developing for the cryogenics is very valuable for that liquefication process as well.
0: Uh-huh. So it could have other uses as well once mm. you, you have it in, in liquid form. In terms of sourcing the hydrogen that's another hot topic as well, because uh mm. where is this hydrogen gonna come from? From from which sources? Is this an efficient use of energy to produce this hydrogen? Um that's that's another debate out there. So how do you see this this whole topic? I mean, do you think it's gonna be like the the hydrogen economy is gonna um really become uh big or it's just gonna remain a niche for maybe, well a niche, I mean. Aviation is pretty big niche, right? But but I mean, we're seeing other companies also pushing for hydrogen in more generally in other in other areas of the economy. I don't know yeah. how, how much future do you see to this this path?
1: Well, uh, look, I mean, today um, hydrogen is produced largely from black or grey, which means it's from coal or from gas um, without any um, capture of the carbon and. The first things first, you know, there's a demand, there's a supply, we should try and green that supply, that's that's okay. But at, at some point, you need to decide where that green hydrogen that you produce should come, come from and where it should go to. And I think there has to be policy decision-making along the way to help guide. Today, um, aviation says represents only about 2.4% of global emissions, but let's add in the non-CO2 effects, we're probably at 9% reality. Um, and then we compare very favorably with marine um, in terms of or unfavorably with marine. And marine, uh, you can use alternatives, ammonia, um, so you don't need hydrogen, but you could produce ammonia from hydrogen, obviously, and it's needed in the, the process. Um, so which way would it go? You know, Marine, um, aviation, uh, general transport. Definitely not general transport. If you can electrify, we should electrify. However, heavy goods vehicles at 20 tonnes of logistics cargo are going to be very difficult for electric batteries. Uh, and don't forget, there's a huge footprint with electric batteries of CO2. And everyone forgets that. There's a, a second life we may be able to make of those batteries to extend their use. Less, but ultimately, we're, we've got to recycle or reuse those because what's being created in those batteries is CO2. Uh, footprint is quite significant and uh, there's a lot of work going on to look at those uh, pathways as well. Um, SAF we've talked a bit around it but um, the sustainable aviation fuels where's the best source of SAF my view and it's based on some analysis hydrogen also appears to be the best route to create SAF so the power to liquid route. Um, So whilst we've got demand growing in aviation and we've got scale then we need to look to those people that can scale. Because I think one of the challenges, if I'm honest, is that there won't be enough carbon sequestration and carbon capture around to, to deal with every single source of carbon and push that under the ground, which is effectively what we're going to have to do. And by the way, it's very expensive. So the cost of SAP is four times that of kerosene and that's not yet you know, um, unsubsidized, that's with subsidies. So hydrogen and green hydrogen, if renewables is the source, and we're looking only at green hydrogen at the moment for all our testing, we're using Octopus Hydrogen here in the UK who are working with Zorabium and others. Um, But we we see that that is the best route. Now, what does that need? It does need some policy nudges, and we definitely need more renewable sources of energy built very quickly. But that's happening, and that's beginning to shape up with the UK government and others committing to more and more renewables. Um, and more and more green hydrogen will be produced. Electrolyzers are the key, um, and what we're seeing is electrolyzer costs coming down. You know, the US have a very big ambition under the Biden administration, as we do in Europe now, and they've just released their Inflation Reduction Act to produce you know low-cost um, carbon clean carbon sorry clean hydrogen with low carbon. And what we've got in policy now is a huge commitment backed with money. And I think it's not just the money from government, but it's the follow-on money that comes from investors that's really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: breakthrough energy that Bill Gates has created you know, puts down double the amount that Europe can put down. And we can find more sources of funding once this gets going. So I think money becomes less of the issue in creating the, the capacity. Then we need manufacturing capabilities. So the bottlenecks are, are disappearing, right? So green hydrogen, renewables, electrolysis, cost of manufacturing coming down, automation, uh, you know, we will find our way to $1 a kilo, I, I believe. I don't know when, but I, I believe we'll find it there. And at that point, grey hydrogen makes no sense. Uh, blue hydrogen makes even less sense in some respects um, because the cost of carbon capture is going to be extremely high, more than that $1 a kilo. And people will ask, well, hang on, how do you get to dollar a kilo for hydrogen? Because the cost of electricity is, you know, more than that. I and mean, when you add the electrolyzer, inefficiencies. But actually, it's kind of... Reverse logic: the more uh, renewables you build, the cheaper everything becomes um, when you get into the system. so you get to scale the electricity costs come down, the electrolyzer costs at scale come down we 'll find ourselves in a position where we 're not comparing today 's prices of electricity we'll be looking at you know much reduced prices and then we add into the mix well where do we get that stable electricity from for the other sources that we need to provide um, you know nuclear is going to be one of those so Nuclear could be a, a part of the mix in creating cleaner hydrogen as well. So I think we're going to find a, a phasing of this. But between now and the end of the decade, I'm pretty convinced that green hydrogen for aviation will be a natural source.
0: The UK in particular, it's got a, a pretty active government support program for all things sustainable aviation. And as you mentioned earlier as well, there are other other projects in the field of hydrogen. Where do you think is so? I mean... Do you think it's got um good opportunity to become sort of a, a, a world leader in, in this new hydrogen economy? Where does the UK stand in, let's say, in this global push for, for hydrogen?
1: I, uh, I mean, I hate to bring up the word that Brexit has probably prompted the UK to do some things at a pace because the uh, government has realized they have to sustain some capability in the UK, not least because of the economics, but because there's a, a huge industry here to protect as well. And Airbus, you know, sitting in Europe could pull that work and had threatened to pull some of that work into Europe. And I think you've seen this over the last week, in fact. Uh, only on Friday, the current Prime Minister uh, went up to Broughton in Airbus and uh, walked around the Treasury and the Welsh Minister to show the plant and said, look, Airbus is investing heavily, we're putting money into R&D. And it is a very significant drive from government, whichever flavour in this country, towards protecting the big community of 30, 40,000 people that... supported by the aerospace industry and then all of the subsequent um, supporting industries that sit around it. And so I think what we have to realise is that um, the UK has been partly ahead of the pack in some respects and moving towards looking at different alternatives. And, um, you know, I was part of the ATI's board for a time, which is the Aerospace Technology Institute, and I was pushing then hydrogen. um, And then we came up with a Fly Zero programme, which ran uh, for the best part of the pandemic and that ran to 100 people looking at alternatives. And they didn't select hydrogen immediately. They went around and looked at ammonia and they looked at SAF and they looked at all the other comparators. And they found that liquid hydrogen was the best option. So what happened there, and you can see it in the news from that the likes of Rolls-Royce got convinced on hydrogen um, and now is planting their seeds of R&D money down. Um, the government's going to support that with batch funding. And you find that that's a very rich environment for investment in hydrogen technologies at the moment within the UK. They doubled their um, commitment to hydrogen research with uh, a step up from five gigawatt ambition by the end of the decade to 10 um, during the, the first month of the Ukraine uh, crisis. And said, look, for energy policy and security reasons, we need to go further. I just read the news today and um, the Labour uh-huh. government here wants to do even more than that. So it's tending towards an acceleration towards the hydrogen economy, largely because of the situation we find ourselves in. Um, but then, you know, I don't think that's any different in Germany or in Canada. Or You know, there's a lot going on. So I feel like we're not the, the leaders. We're, we're trying to play catch up. Um, uh-huh. But by playing catch up quite so obviously, it looks like we're doing a lot more. I think the important thing is that we're all on the same race course, you know. Are we all heading to the same aim? Because aviation is a global game, right? So, yeah, do we have green hydrogen at you know hubs across Europe very soon? Because that's probably where we're going to see the kickoff of the hydrogen aviation economy, and that's what's most important, really—not which country takes the lead, but how do we help each other and how do we collaborate.
0: What's the time horizon that you see for the hydrogen power aircraft to come into the market in a in a significant way? For example, Airbus, that one that I think one year ago they announced with much fanfare. Is is this realistic, or you think it's going to be take a bit longer?
1: Uh, In two minds, whether Airbus is telling us everything, right? So typically, Airbus doesn't release everything that they're doing to the world. So what Mm -hmm. they did release over a year ago on Zero E is probably only part of what they're doing. And I think their actual aim is faster than 2035 to get aircraft into the sky. And I I base that logic on the fact that you only have to look at their order. book. They're trying to burn through it now, a rate increase from 55 to 75 single aisles a month. Mm -hmm. They want to get through, I think, and have a new capability available to start producing hydrogen aircraft in each of these zero emission development centres within the next two years. You know, I think that the TRL level they want to get to suggests that they have very strong confidence that they're going to get to a hydrogen system that's going to fly, whether it be a gas turbine or a fuel cell, before the end of the decade. And then, you know, the certification roadmap, hopefully by then, will catch up with things and will be, you know, hitting 2035 if not before. The question is whether it's a gas turbine, whether it's a fuel cell, whether it's superconducting or non-superconducting. I don't know where my bets are. But I think Airbus is taking quite a lot of bets they're not they're not stopping at one solution they're keeping their their aperture wide Boeing i think is following i think um they were ahead in in hydrogen and they had experimental aircraft flying in Spain as it were if i remember and uh you know i think they're now in a place where they are putting that back on the on their route one for a new aircraft as well they've got SAF, but they're quietly playing into hydrogen spaces all over the place so I think we'll see hydrogen appear in Boeing's portfolio again. Mm-hmm. And um, we know Embraer's plans there with their NGO aircraft. So I think that's very clear. They have a longer timeline and a horizon than I would imagine. Maybe that's because of money, because they have uh, you know, had, had the challenges of disruption with the Boeing failed mm-hmm. deal, you know, but perhaps they'll find themselves on their feet again and mm-hmm. they might accelerate that pathway. But I have a feeling that they are probably the best aircraft manufacturer at the scale benefit from hydrogen. So I think it's about them finding the evidence that they can get to the TRL levels quickly enough. And if money's behind it, I'm sure they will do. And then, then then the unlikely ones, but they could come through. But the Chinese are massively investing in hydrogen. And I don't know where Comac sits today. But I wouldn't leave them out of the race. You know, they made a piece very slow at regulating a, an aircraft for a CAA or a FAA or easa for approval. But they may bring the technology to the table. So I'm I keep my mind open on the Chinese. They, they could
0: move fast. Well, either way, I'm, I'm sure we we will learn through you at some point because you are always one of the fastest to break news in, the, in this space on LinkedIn. And what other channels, what other sources should people check to learn more about these projects?
1: Uh, it's a good question. I, I do try and stick with um, using LinkedIn as a sharing mechanism and I get lots of good feedback and hope that that's useful to people, which is nice to know that you find it. But, uh, you know, where do I find my intelligence on things? I talk to people. I, um, I try and ask open questions and find out what's going on. And I like to share that because I get quite good uh, response and feedback. And also, when I ask a question, we find that there's a lot of people who are informed who can actually bring their thoughts to the table. So it's a nice platform. Um, but I see a lot of intelligence um, through conversations I have with people. For Fluxart, we have our own website, which is uh, fluxart.ero, and we're trying to make that a little bit more active. We look at all sorts of sources. Obviously, um, we have uh, podcasts that we listen to, like All Plane. We have the uh, use of uh, Twitter. We, we, We follow certain people that we believe are leading thinkers in the industry, but we also have some of those leading thinkers, our advisory, and we have the opportunity to talk to some of those people and get their insights. So Whilst at FANBREA show, we were able to meet with Grazia Viterdini and uh, Val Mittikoff, um, some of the key players, I believe, in hydrogen ambition.
0: Parenthesis here for people that are not familiar, Grazia Vitadini, is uh, the former Airbus CTO. And I think now she's at Rolls-Royce, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and and Val uh, is the founder of Zero Avia, which is one of the leading companies in the in, in the in the field of hydrogen aviation basically i've been um posting about it uh, quite a few times and we had their cfo on the podcast quite some time ago but i'm going to post a link in the in the notes as well for for further context mm-hmm. yeah sorry i'll just, just a quick parenthesis here yeah, there's also you know fantastic resources available um
1: that, that we find in uh feeds from uh, news articles through the twitter um handles that people use Um, we use that very regularly so also follow us on Fluxart1 on Twitter um, and you'll find out a lot more about what we're seeing on the hydrogen aviation space and I think the final thing to say is everyone um, can help accelerate this journey if we share more there's there's a lot of opportunity to learn and I think we all need to learn fast because the hydrogen economy whether it be in aviation or elsewhere is definitely coming so I'd welcome uh, anyone's thoughts on that and, and feedback to me and uh, look forward to hearing from you all soon.
0: Definitely, we'll, we'll try to do our little bit here from this modest podcast to also share this knowledge and share all these advances, very exciting times for the industry. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Speak soon. Thank you. Thanks very much. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, A quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon!